And I have just a couple announcements before I found this up here. Thank you. We're going to give this a go again today, so bear with me. Uh, just a couple announcements before we jump into our time together in the Word. Uh, first off, we, of course, we have children through fifth grade invited to Children's Church. Boy, <laughs> don't have to tell them twice. Second, if you happen to have a smartphone handy, and probably 70% of you do, if you happen to have one handy and you haven't connected to us, haven't connected with us online, on Facebook, and you want to take a minute and do that this morning, uh, I encourage you to go ahead and do that. You can find us on Facebook, like us. Uh, we've got a couple of uh, Facebook different groups out there uh, that are maintained by different people. Uh, you can also find me out there myself. I'm on Facebook and uh, Instagram, and the face should look something like this right here. I don't always look this beautiful, but um, our webpage is continually updated, and we've got uh, Betsy who does an awesome job at that. So if you haven't found us out there, please take a minute and do so or do that also. I'd like to thank uh, Mike for filling in last week in, in the pulpit while uh, we were on vacation. We had a, a good week of recharge, and it was restful, and we were thankful to get back. It's always good to go. It's always good to get back. Uh, and then before I forget, before I forget, I have to turn it on. There we go. Before I forget, I want to make this very important announcement. Uh, it's an announcement about food, so it might be about the best thing I could talk about up here. Uh, we're going to have a Ferris family cookout, we're calling it, at the end of the month. Uh, right out here in the backyard on July 27, and uh, plan to attend, would you? I uh, just want to invite everybody out to that. Plan to attend. Uh, if you'd like to contribute, like to bring a side dish, uh, there's a sign-up sheet out here uh, for side dishes, and if you want to donate uh, maybe some hamburger or some buns or something, let me know for that. We just basically want to throw a big summer party and invite you all out to it. So, uh, please make a note of that if you can at all be here that day. Uh, we'd love to have you. If you just want to come for the fun, that's okay too. You can do that. But just on July 27, let's just get together and, and be the church together, shall we? Before I forget too, and before I uh, get too caught up, please be in prayer. for. We've got several people involved with the camp this week going on a trip, a uh, hiking trip. Is that Yes. So want to, for some reason, I wanted to say kayaking, and I, yes, yes, uh, backpacking, and then Betsy with the all-girls wilderness, and uh, please pray it doesn't rain for six and a half days, <laughs> but uh, just pray that everyone's kept safe, and that uh, hearts would be receptive. Camp is, is really an amazing time. Uh, the Lord does amazing things through the ministry out here at Rock Lake. So pray for those folks that are involved with that, if you would, over the course of this week. So uh, we just love that we see so many of our people involved out there. Um, moving forward, welcome to week two. Week two of following heaven's words in a hell-bound world. It's our summer series we're going to journey through some of the more controversial topics, both for the church, for the culture surrounding the church. Uh, it's a series I've been working on for a couple of months now. Now, this morning, our text is going to primarily come from three scriptures, and I've got them noted right up there on uh, the overhead. Before we jump in, uh, I just want to cut right to it. The preacher's, yes, going to be talking about the offering plate again. 
today. And if you're thinking, well, oh boy, it's not exactly the subject I wanted to hear when, when, I, when I came in this morning, let me share th this with you as well. It's not my favorite topic to preach on. Uh, I believe, matter of fact, uh, but uh, first though, it, it is definitely covered in here, so we have to cover it up here as well. Um, but let me find it up here. I believe we have, there it is. Um, this is an actual snapshot of the last occasion I preached on tithing. You can see me pulling out of an unnamed church parking lot right here in my Ford Flex. I'm in hot pursuit, and I'm going about 120 miles an hour, and you can kind of get an idea here of the vehicles that are chasing after me. They're all wound around the security fence here, and I barely made it out of that place alive. I'm kidding. This isn't my vehicle. Actually, the, 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 the person that owns this Ford Flex, I believe, was caught licking something in a grocery store out of the freezer this week, so... Did you hear about that? That's, what do you do for a good time in 2019? I go to the grocery freezer and lick things and put them back. I just, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> All because of the fall, you know? <laughs> I'm kidding. But preaching on giving in the church can be a difficult topic. It can be a difficult topic for the preacher. It can be a difficult topic uh, for the congregation. And I'm not excluding myself from the group that uh, is difficult to hear. Uh, others in my particular profession don't always make it easy. You know the ones we, we hear about them or we hear of them or we flip through the channels and, and see them. Uh, guys that will talk about blessings of abundance. Guys that will say things like repent and send money, mostly send money. Um, too many of these guys have succeeded in putting the idea in our heads that if we, we hear one more sermon on stewardship, uh, we're going to end up like this. Worship service is over, and these two uh, gentlemen have just left the church building, both standing in their boxer, boxer shorts, and one says to the other, that was the best sermon on giving I've ever heard. <laughs> it's a joke, and it's cartoon, but th this is kind of sometimes what we expect, isn't it? Uh, Preacher's going to insist, the church needs the shirt off my back more than I do. Um, we may not say things like it, but I think we sometimes fear it. I think we sometimes fear it, don't we, in the back of my mind. You know what my biggest fear is as the preacher, though, when it comes to the subject of giving? This is me. This is me. I'm the guy. Can't you tell? It looks just like me, except I have a little more hair. I'm just slightly better looking than this guy. Um, I guess that's debatable. But... This is me on the le left, and that's Cody on the right, can't you tell? <laughs> You're a lot better looking than that guy, though. But the minister says, next time when I preach on tithing, don't sing Jesus Paid It All as our invitational hymn. And we laugh. We laugh at that, but, but there's a reason. There's a reason you know, why there's humor in this, uh, because it's not, it's not an easy subject for the church. It's not. Uh, we're not here as the church to operate like a business, are we? We're not. We're not here for that. Um, you know, the Bible does not say, you know, upon this, uh, you know, 403CB organization, I build my church or anything like that. Uh, the church is not to operate like a business, but, but the church as an organization does have responsibilities, does have missionaries, have, it does have electric bills uh, for which it provides. We often hear that as believers, we're called to be stewards. We hear this. And this word steward, we hear from our preachers, we hear uh, from our Sunday school teachers, but maybe 
we're not always so certain what that word implies. What does it mean to be a Christian and therefore a steward? What is that part of it? What does the Bible tell us about giving anyway? We hear mixed messages from different people in the church. And some people might say, well, we're supposed to place 10% of our, of our income weekly without fail in the offering plate at church. That's just the way it goes. That's the way it's always been. Some others might say, well, I'm just going to keep all my earnings to myself because I earned it all. It's mine. And I'll work out my offering to God in other ways. Uh, I'll work it out in, in handiwork around the church, for example. But the goal of this sermon series is to navigate through mixed messages. Mixed messages uh, using God's word. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to do with this series. So let's dig in together. Uh, everyone can probably stand to hear a review on the subject from time to time. What does the Bible actually say about offering time? In this hell-bound world, which it is, don't let anybody tell you different. In this hell-bound world, what are heaven's words on giving? Our time of giving each week, we say of receiving our tithes and offerings, we have it printed in our bulletin that way, comes from two passages in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2, and 2 Corinthians 9-7. Let's turn to those passages together. Up here I'm using the English Standard Version, of course, uh, you're welcome to look behind me, Pew Bibles, NIV. Paul is writing to the first century Christians at, at, at Corinth. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, pay attention to that part, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay, now jump with me a little to 2 Corinthians 9-7. Uh, it's, it's under it up here. Here Paul adds the following to the church. He describes it this way. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so if, if you notice from our first text right away, the Bible makes it a point to say, verse 1, look with me, just as God, through the Apostle Paul, has directed the church, has directed the church at Galatia, this particular church, to give on the first of day of the week, God is directing you to do the same. Our collection time is biblically directed. The Bible tells us to do this. It's not something that we've come up with, that we've dreamed up with to run a business. It has nothing to do with that. These are actually Paul's instructions, Paul's biblical directions for the giving of our offering. We take up every Sunday morning, this is the when, this is the why. We need to understand this right away. The Holy Spirit directed the multiple churches to collect in this manner 2,000 years ago, and he's still directing multiple churches, the collective church, all of us, to collect in this manner today. This first day giving is how each Christian, all of us, whether we're rich or poor, whether it's feast or famine, is instructed to give. Okay, that's the first thing we want to understand, but let's, let's break these instructions down a little more. I believe there are uh, three major points we can take from these two passages of text that should affect each one of us as God's stewards. Uh, number one, number one, the Bible says this. The Bible says this gift is to be given weekly. 
weekly. That's the first instruction that we want to hang on to here. Every Sunday, without fail, 1 Corinthians 16, literally in the Greek, Paul says, upon the first day of every week, so along with, with uh, you know, we come together, we break bread, that's noted in the second chapter of Acts. The Bible says we're also here this morning to bring an offering to the Lord. That's, that's, why we, that's part of the reason why we come together. It's built into the meeting. This is God's word. Now, I've heard people actually say before, why can't we just take out the, the, the offering? You know, we don't want to offend people. We'll do it some other way. Well, why can't we take out the offering time of our service? Because God's word says it's part of the reason for our meeting. As one commentator notes, each week the Christian is blessed, he or she must give for the support of the Lord's work. Now, this raises some questions, though, for the saints, uh, as, as things often do for us, because this is a messy world. Uh, here's some examples of those things. Here's some questions about uh, our weekly giving. We may ask, uh, what if I'm ill? What if I'm ill and I can't make it to the weekly worship service? Does this dismiss me from financial stewardship that day? How about this one? My sister and her family's in town this week. We, we always go out to that expensive restaurant. It's an hour away during their visit. So can I just hang on to that offering because I might need it. I might need it that day, that week. What about this one? I wasn't able to attend worship last week, but I brought my offering for this week. Can I skip last week's offering? Now, and as difficult as it may be to hear, much less follow, here are heaven's words. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 4.2. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful. That's what the Bible says on giving. And I'm looking here in the mirror here when I say this, not pointing fingers at anyone else. I think sometimes as, as a Christian, I know I'm guilty of, of wanting to do everything I can to be the church when it's convenient. When it's convenient. But when it's not so convenient, I'd rather just go, go to church. I'd like to encourage you, regardless of your circumstances, the Bible doesn't discriminate again. Poor, rich, feast or famine, give. Give weekly. If you miss a Sunday, guess what? Do your best to give weekly still. That's what the Bible says. Faithfulness. But it's my money, I earned it, and other people get enough of it. The government, social programs, the union, student loans, my ex, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, your circumstances don't change what the Bible says about stewardship. Denver Sizemore writes in 13 Lessons in Christian Doctrine, many Christians conceive of their money as belonging to them exclusively, and if they so choose, they may give God some. The reverse, however, is the truth. It all belongs to God, and he permits man to use part of it for himself. Wow. Sizemore concludes, when this fact is understood, it will change the entire attitude of man toward his money and toward his God. And so stewardship, stewardship is a requirement, not, not a suggestion. All that we have belongs to God already. It's his. It all came from him. And when we give it back to him on Sunday, we're being faithful, amen? We're being faithful. If we weren't present at the time of giving, that still belongs to God. So let's do all we can to follow what the Bible really says about giving weekly. Each of us, the church collectively, whether we're from Galatia or Corinth or East Montcalm County, Michigan, 
are to do the same. This is not always easy. This is not always convenient for us. But it's what the Word of God tells us to do. And secondly, this morning, God's Word says that a gift is to be given, uh, we said weekly, also willfully. What does willfully mean? A willfully means of your own desire to give, and this is so important. This is so important. I uh, knew a, a family member who spent a few years in, in one religious organization. I'm not going to name any names. Uh, sometimes they like to dress up funny. There's a few of them that do that, so... But anyway, after missing a, a month of weekly meetings, he, he decided not to return. And when, he realized, when they realized he wasn't coming back, they sent him a bill in the mail for missed meetings. I'm not kidding you. But that's not what willfully is all about. That's not what willfully means. Willfully means not bending to pressure that other people might be watching what you do when the plate gets passed into your hands or when they're passing your pew. Willfully means it's a blessing to give a predetermined amount in proportion to what you've been given as a gift back to God. Okay. How much are we to give willfully? What does the Bible say on this? Again, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. As he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. What does the Bible say? The Bible says a predetermined amount. This is the time in the message where we may have our smartphones out or we may be thinking we're going to get our, our Google out later and we're going to be looking for this expression, 10% tithe. Where in the Bible is uh, the New Testament church told to give this amount? And here's a spoiler, it's not in there. It's not in there. It's not in there. That might be a shock for some of us. I've actually heard before uh, leadership of a church, not at this church, but I've heard someone get up at offering time and say, oh, Lord, thank you for allowing us to keep 90% of our earnings. You'd think that this 10% figure was part of the gospel. It's not. There's a joke told about two men who were shipwrecked on a remote island. After landing ashore, one of them began shouting, this is it, it's all over, we're finished. The second man leaned calmly against a palm tree. When the first man saw how calm the second man was, the shouting grew even more intense. Don't you understand what's going on? We've just been shipwrecked. Undisturbed, the, the second man replied, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. Dumbfounded, the first man looked at him despondently and screamed, what difference does that make? We're, we're marooned on an island in the middle of nowhere with nothing. We have nothing to eat, nothing to drink, nor any sign of either. We don't even know where in the world we are. The second man calmly answered, you just don't get it. I make $100,000 a week, and I tithe religiously 10% on that $100,000 a week. Wherever I am, my minister will be sure to find me. Let's talk about the practice of tithing for a minute. You see, this, this word tithe, this meaning a tenth part of something paid, this is an Old Testament concept fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I think there's some confusion today about this. But this is where we can actually drop that punchline, Jesus paid it all. Under Mosaic law, Old Testament, 
Some examples being, uh, I've got them listed up here, Leviticus 27.30, Numbers 18.26, Deuteronomy 14.24, 2 Chronicles 31.5. God's Jewish people were to give 10% of their crops and livestock raised to the tabernacle or temple. The tithe was commanded. But here's the thing, this was only one small part of the Jewish tithe. If, if the Christian or churchgoer today were to follow the same giving as the Mosaic law commanded the Israelites, uh, we'd be uh, actually talking about a 24% tithe, one quarter tithe of our earnings. Why is that? Because the Old Testament asked for multiple tithes. Old, multiple tithes. There was a uh, tithe for the Levites. There was a tithe for using the temple. There was a tithe for the poor. But the New Testament nowhere commands or even recommends that Christians submit to the OT tithing system because Christ fulfilled it. Christ fulfilled it. We need to understand that. We need to understand that. But before you say, well, it sounds like the preacher saying, let's just forget about that traditional 10% standard. Au contraire, I'm going to actually suggest that in lieu of giving a 10% tithe of your earnings, of your weekly income to God when you come into his house on Sunday morning, perhaps we should be giving quite a bit more. I'm not going prosperity gospel on you here, I promise. The Apostle Paul tells the church in 2 Corinthians 8.3, and you might make a note of that verse. There's a group of believers who gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, beyond their means of their own accord. I don't know if that's part of the Dave Ramsey program or not, but this church gave beyond their means. And so maybe that guy making $100,000 a week, giving that 10%, maybe that's not enough for him. I don't know. That's between him and God. But willfully means as you desire to give, scripturally in the New Testament church, according to, maybe even beyond, your means. Acts 11.29 mentions that the disciples determined to give everyone according to his ability. So this OT tithing system may be gone, fulfilled as Christians. We're called to give, to give from the heart weekly in proportion to what we've been given. And this means not when the plate comes your way, not when the guy rounds the corner, but decide ahead of time what you're giving uh, in proportion to what you've been given. But maybe not stop there. One commentator says those who have more should give more. This is the only means by which the church is going to meet its responsibilities to the poor, to sustain its missionaries, its own Christian work. Now, I'm not saying that each and every individual giving uh, in this way in the year 2019 is going to be an instant fix for all of our problems, but I'm just wondering why, on the whole, Christians haven't been doing it this way already. Giving willfully with servants' hearts back to God. Sometimes we give each other the benefit of the doubt. That's not always a bad thing. But sometimes maybe we wonder, well, don't most believers already do that? I mean, isn't that already, uh, as the slang is, isn't that already a thing? You know, give a set amount weekly in proportion to what we've been given. Isn't that a typical practice in God's church? But unfortunately, no. Statistically, it isn't. Dennis Green writes, uh, as he's part of a church development organization which helps U.S. fund capital campaigns, uh, his research finds this. The average Protestant Christian gives 2.2% of his or her income. 2.2%. Do we have an issue in the church with following God's word on giving or what? 
Do we need to be reminded of what this says on the subject? Uh, Green has found that statistically, many of us could afford to increase our tithe. We could, on the whole. We could afford to increase even to 5%. But even if the average person increased their giving to 5%, the tithe level, the Old Testament biblical tithe of 10, that's still twice that. What we say we give, statistically. So in conclusion, most Christians, most believers, whether it's lifestyle choices or, or what they figure is necessity, don't feel like they can survive off 95% of their income. Let's not go into all the worldly reasons why, but the point here is that following God's word and our giving, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy, is it? And times are tough. Times are tough for many of us. You know, the, the proverbial pie isn't always what we'd like it to be, and, and I know what that feels like. I know how expensive it is to feed a family. People always told me that, you know, when I was a kid. Oh, oh I had so many mouths to feed, and I, I didn't realize what it's like to feed mouths. <laughs> I think I'd take three or four more mortgages before, uh, you know, three or four more mouths. Man, it's insane. But I know. I know how expensive it is to feed a family. Pay a mortgage. I know about that check that uh, you, you're expecting in the mail and it's not quite as large as you were hoping. And I'm convinced that giving willfully to God, first and foremost, is not always going to make sense by the numbers, no matter how much planning you do. And see, this is why it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith. It's supposed to be. If the Israelites gave 10 to 25% of a tithe to the Lord, do you think they were dependent on the Lord? To get them by, and they knew it. Why then is the average Christian who is under no such law only giving 2%? Why? Why is it? Giving biblically may not make sense by the numbers. We, we, may, we may rationalize that, but, but neither does 2%. So, so here's some um, considerations for our giving, some questions we might ask ourselves, some guidelines. Are we as God's stewards going about this cheerfully? Is this a cheerful part of our week to week? Not because we have to, not because we're going to look bad if we don't, but because we want to. And when we get that raise, have we made that first cut to the Lord, not because we're obligated, but because it's a joy to return to God a portion of what he's given to us out of his love. Do we take this issue to God in prayer like everything else in our lives? We have that opportunity, James 1.5 tells us. And we can consider what the Bible says in that time of prayer, evaluating the needs of the church around us. The idea isn't to begrudgingly put our interests aside or our uh, wants for the day. You know, if God knows that you'd rather save that money for Cracker Barrel... I know how much those dinners cost at Cracker Barrel. But you'd better save it for Cracker Barrel. On the contrary, pray, plan, decide what to give, and give it cheerfully because it's going to make us a whole lot more cheerful come offering time, won't it? But this leads me to our uh, last point this morning. The Bible says again once a week, a gift is to be given. It's to be given cheerfully. And finally, a gift is to be given worshipfully. 
worshipfully. That's where we want to end. That's where it all comes together and makes sense, even if it may not make sense for us individually. You know, speaking of Cracker Barrel, or maybe more McDonald's here, if we're guilty of giving God the proverbial leftovers instead of the first and best of what he's given us, what does it say about our time of worship? Let's look at Malachi chapter 1, uh, verses 6 to 14. And this is Old Testament. So uh, keep in mind when we look at this text that although the kind of offering given here may not apply to us, the manner in which the offering is given certainly does. Still today, let's look at this text from Malachi, a last book of the Old Testament. We'll read it together. There's a little bit of text here. Verse 6 begins, A son honors his father and a servant is master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God. Excuse me. Entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. We're at verse 10 here. Sorry, I was doing two things. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. This is the Lord. He's not too happy here with the people at the gifts they're bringing. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Wow. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Look at uh, uh, verse 12. Okay, we weren't quite there yet. Verse 12. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is its food, may be despised. Verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. The bringing of the offering. What a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord. Verse 14, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Now, there's a lot of text there I know. Well, what's going on? People were giving God the leftovers. People were giving God what they didn't want. His people at the time were holding back the proverbial filet mignon and expecting God Almighty to accept a hamburger from McDonald's. That's what's happening here. The prophet Malachi is calling out the Jews who are basically bringing the sick and the blemished lambs to the temple for sacrifice. Now they believe, well, we're checking the box. We're putting our offering in that plate proverbially. We're being faithful to God in our giving, but they were actually polluting and profaning his name, verse 12. See, the OT law expressly forbid the sacrificing of blemished animals in Leviticus 22, but convenience was instead becoming the religion of the people. 
convenience. This was the proverbial 2.2%. Two per two, uh, 2 .2%. God's people were keeping the best for themselves, giving God what was left. God says, I won't accept it. I won't accept your offering. If you present it in this manner to me, what does he say today? What does he say when he looks at us? What does he think when he looks at us? When giving is an act of worship, my friends, when we've set aside an actual period of time during the first day of the week, we follow this text to come in this place and bless God with the first and best of what he's given us, and we bring him nothing, or we bring him next to nothing. Aren't we profaning his holy name? Aren't we? Now, this isn't about giving away our life savings. To quote the uh, 20th century philosopher Paul Hewson, better known to most of us as uh, Bono from the band U2. <clears throat> Just hang on, because this is good. The God I believe in isn't short of cash. Right? The God I believe in isn't short of cash. But God does require faithfulness. He requires faithfulness. That's, that's where we're going with all of this. Do we give in shame or in hatred or in praise and fear of our great God? Is our offering time a time of worship when we come to praise and glorify his name? And let's take this point forward to the time of Christ. One commentary says there's no story in the scriptures that more vividly connects giving to worship than the story of the wise men. The wise men who entered the presence of Jesus in the second chapter of Matthew. We hear that story every year. These wise men could not worship Jesus. They couldn't come to God without opening, bringing treasures of gold, of frankincense, of myrrh, and presenting these gifts to him because they knew that the worship that is empty-handed is according to Scripture, not worship at all. Not worship at all. Our culture today, in our world today, it says, put the focus on what you're getting out of worship. It's all about you on Sunday. The church has often become seeker-sensitive instead of self-sacrificial, hasn't it? We've made Sunday worship more about personal preference than pleasing God. I'm guilty of it myself. I just think about the last time you heard someone say, well, Sunday morning would have been better if... Music, prayer time, what the preacher's preaching on, how somebody was standing, what somebody up front said or didn't say, should have said or should have said. We love to play worship service critic like it's built in to the Bible. And I'll be the first to admit I'm looking in the mirror here. I have a temptation to make it all about me. But it's all about him. It's all about him. When I, when you, when we fail to prioritize giving in worship, making it all about Jesus, and instead expect to get. We're forgetting the means by which we're even Christ's church in the first place, that cross, the dying to self. And you know, it may not be gold or frankincense and myrrh today, but the wise men among us, those who are wise among us, will continue to bring a worshipful gift to God because we know Jesus has given it all, given it all, first and foremost, long ago. And so we're going to give the finest, the very best that we can, beyond our means. We're going to know that God will provide just as he always has. Just as he always has. And this isn't about money. This isn't entirely uh, 
all about writing a check. Our giving of our time and our talents, these are indeed ours to give back, and, and we need to consider those things as well. But at offering time, please remember, please remember, the same God who blessed those Old Testament tithes, Malachi 3.10, he, he also blesses what we give back today, doesn't he? The same God, the same power. We'll never be able to repay him for everything he's given to us. Never. Never. You, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. But we can bring back to him what's already his. Weekly, cheerfully, worshipfully. We can do that, can't we? Would you pray with me? Lord, you've been so good to us. You've given us 100%. And Lord, the call upon us today is that we would die to self. We would take up our crosses daily. And when we come to worship you, that we would truly make it all about you. We've been invited weekly to this place to commune with you. We've been invited uh, to this place to bring an offering to you. Lord, help us to, to truly be people who give. Help us, Lord, to be convicted of where, where we hold back in our lives with, with everything, those areas in which we could do better. Lord, we know that you already have everything. We can never outgive out you physically or, or spiritually or any other way. But Lord, we can all be a little more faithful. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would convict us, help us to, to be people who are, are found faithful in all ways. Help us to be stewards who are encouraged not to follow the culture, not to uh, just uh, do things because uh, the world around us expects us to. But to remember that uh, we belong to a different world. We belong to your kingdom. And we've been called out of this world. Lord, when we open your word and, and we, we, we read about uh, the least of these your brethren. Lord, when we're aware of the, of the missionaries in this world and those in our church that have needs and those in the community around us that have needs, wherever you've called us, Lord, help us to remember that we can be givers or we can be takers. And you've given it all. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the church. I thank you for every individual that's here today. Every person that is here, Lord, uh, has given. We've given of our time. Each uh, person that, that's here, Lord, uh, has given some of their resources already. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for uh, each person that's here, for your love for all of us. 
and for your being such a good father to us in every way, Lord. God, I just pray that, that your spirit would convict us where we fail. Draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray if there would be anyone here that, that doesn't know you, that hasn't received what you've given, your Holy Spirit, your grace and mercy, I pray, Lord, that they would be convicted to receive those blessings, to begin a new life in your family, a life where everything belongs to you and, and we share it in your name. that you would continue to shape us as your family to make your name great and, and Lord not, not to uh, not to see us uh, look like the world around us God I thank you so much for the, the elders of this church for the wisdom that you give them and for the direction that you uh, give them Lord uh, for those deacons for those servants Lord I thank you for Everyone, Lord, those that uh, may not be in a position of leadership, but are, are our servants and, and serve you faithfully too. Help us to all uh, come together a little closer in your word over the course of this series. And help us remember of your love, which draws us all together. It is in the name of Jesus I pray, amen. And by the way, folks, uh, you know, Ferris Church... We do have a need. We, we, we still have a need for, uh, for a new furnace. And we're, uh, we're just a few thousand dollars short still on that if you look at the goal out here. And, you know, would you consider a place in your giving for this? I'm not saying in place of your weekly offering, but maybe in addition to it. And this wasn't the reason for the message this morning. Don't, don't be thinking, aha, I knew it. But it's certainly an appropriate note for me to end on. This week, I, I pray that we all would consider our giving, consider the giver, consider our gift, and above all, most importantly, we would consider our hearts and where they are in his hands. Uh, would you stand as we sing this invitation, a song, give you my heart, O oh Lord.